The following content is sponsored in partnership with Haymarket Media US. Allison Weisbrot, the editor of Campaign US, and I'm here with Amanda Fell, VP of Business Operations at Whirl. And we are going to talk about the current state of streaming, the biggest challenges facing the market, and the role that AI might play in its future. Hi, Amanda. Hi, Allison. How are you? Thanks for having me. I'm great. How are you? Doing well, thanks. First to kick it off, tell us a little bit about Whirl. What what do you guys do and what is your role in the streaming market? Absolutely. So uh, World provides data-driven solutions for the connected TV industry. So we support streamers and content publishers across three main areas. Um, That's monetization, performance marketing, and distribution. So it's kind of the trifecta of stuff that everybody who's in CTV is interested in. Um, You know, we may have the best channel in the world, but unless we're making money, kind of doesn't matter. (laughs) So those are core things that all kind of they're, they're all related. In other words, we want to make sure that folks are making money and also getting some great viewership. Um, we've got some, some key tools that help our customers do that. One is AdPool that helps with that monetization piece. Content discovery is our AI powered. You mentioned the, the presence of AI in, in the industry today. Um, that is a performance marketing solution and is one of those around the performance marketing piece of the, the kind of flywheel of things that we do here at World to help our customers. And of course, we also distribute channels across to many key uh, streaming platforms that folks want to be on today. Uh, so that's our, what we call our global fast pass. Awesome. So you're full funnel, one-stop shop. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, so it's it's really cool. And it's it's lovely to see our, our customers thrive. We thrive when they do. So, um, you know, to be able to offer that full circle for them is really incredible. I've been here at World for about eight years. So I've seen us uh, grow from, which is really cool, honestly. Um, I don't know that it's an experience that everyone gets to have. So I certainly feel lucky to see us grow from a teeny tiny small company to where we are today and certainly uh, hyper-focusing on certain areas of our business and then growing them out as our customers have needed them and seeing us flourish with our technology too, to complement that. Yeah. Well, as Whirl has grown, so has the streaming marketplace, right? There's now tons of different apps, apps that are launching new ad supported offerings that they didn't have before. So how would you describe the current state of streaming and where are we in CTV's sort of growth trajectory as a medium? Yeah, it's really interesting. I mean, clearly lots of people are paying attention to CTV. Um, it makes sense. Like, you know, even the data out there shows that households um, will be accepting, welcoming CTV as a vast majority in 2024. As we've looked at some of the, you know, numbers out there, according to eMarketer, for example, advertisers are allocating more and more budget towards CTV. Um, and that ad spend on CTV is expected to actually, you know, really skyrocket get into the $40 billion realm in the U.S. Uh, by 2027. So it's it's really gaining traction in terms of like even just personal, you know, reflection. I kind of feel like once you see parts of your family adopt CTV, like my mom would never let go of cable ever. She wanted her local news. She wanted to make sure she got it, even if it was going to be an SD. Um, but she actually cut the cord, you know, in the last couple of years. And so for wow. her, that's a big deal. She was going to hold on tooth and nail to this cable world she's lived in. Um, and she's like, you know what? I'm just going to try sling. Okay. She got what she wanted. Um, and so those kind of things, when we start to permeate all of the different demographics, it's not like just, oh, those 
kids, they're getting on that streaming TV. Everybody's really getting into it now. It's taking a hold um, across the board. And I, I know that's just my own um, personal story, but I kind of feel like that's happening everywhere. Um, I also felt it even when I started working at Whirl. It was really hard to explain what we did. You know, go to Thanksgiving dinner and explain to your uncle, what do you do? Or your cousin. And it would take forever to describe, well, you know, you have your TV, you plug it into the internet, you get TV. That's what we do. We kind of connect stuff and then you see ads. Um, but now it's not really a thing to have to explain to people. They get it. They're, oh, oh, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I know what, maybe they don't know the acronym FAST per se, but they know that I get internet TV and they understand that. And so when I say what I do, it's, it's pretty easy to translate now. Right. They understand what streaming is. They know what Netflix is. Like they, it, this is a part of people's everyday lives of all ages. Completely, completely. It's, it's, um, it's so much more of our, la- in our language now. And it's not, um, it's still new. Like I, I don't want it to sound like it's this industry that's so, um, tied, neatly tied at the ends yet. It's still, I don't want to forget that we're still in the early days of CTV growth and its potential. So we're always learning us at world as a company, but I think the streaming industry as a whole, we're starting to understand how this works, how Mm -hmm. the technology is going to work better, how we see this moving forward, how people are going to adopt this. Um, I've heard it said before, and I think it's certainly a conversation that's worth continuing to have, but it's a a new business. It's a new space to be able to consume our media and the shows that we love or content that we love and want to watch. But are we really doing something different or are we just creating really cable on the internet? Um, So I think you could look at those things twofold. So, you know, it's new, but is it really that new? Is it just we're using the internet to get what we had before? Well, that's my sort of leads into my next question, which is like, as streaming has grown, there's all these different apps that you have to be subscribed to or be registered to. Eventually, those costs add up to essentially the price of a cable bundle. So (laughs) do you feel like streaming is turning into cable 2.0? And in what ways can it be a better like priced or or a better customer experience? Yeah. Um, so I think there are a couple of things that you, you raise here, which are, I think, totally spot on. So one is the cost, as you're saying, uh, that it's becoming just as expensive to balance all these things. So what you end up doing, I we do it too. It's like, well, do we need to take a Netflix break? Because we could save $15 a month if we just take a break this month and then put that towards Hulu because we haven't watched that you know, season of a certain show. And you just kind of go around and circle back to the things that you think will be the most economical and also speak to what you want to watch at the time. So in terms of whether or not I believe that is a problem that's coming from cable and just continuing to be there, with regard to cost, sure, it, it might just be adding up. It's not really a cost savings, in other words, to say I get my content from streaming necessarily. I think at one point it was like, oh, Sling mm-hmm. is 20 bucks a month or something. My cable bill is 100 bucks. Yeah, clearly. But then once you go Sling plus Hulu plus or the, you know, the higher tiered of some of these things, the ones behind the paywall um, and Netflix and all of these other things, then yeah, you might be adding up. Um, so I think what happens is the streaming platforms end up losing customers here and there based on whatever they can afford at the time and whatever's popular at the time. Um, With regard to the content offering, though, I think that's a hard one. There are silos now. So I can only watch Game of Thrones on HBO Max or Max. Sorry, that's what they call them. So So (laughs) I can only do that. So I'm going to if I want to watch it, I have to subscribe there. 
if I want to watch um, my kids really want to watch Bluey, it has to be on Disney. Like I can't get these on all these different places anymore. So I end up with siloed experiences and I have to navigate, you know, in and out of all of these different places and keep track of them. Right. It's not the best user experience. And I think that is sort of what creates churn. Another issue is discoverability, right? Because there's just so much content. Like how do you get yours to either rise to the top or be something that a brand would potentially want to get involved in because it has that level of viewership? Completely. It's, I mean, a lot of these channels, even if they're wonderful, they're buried. Or if there's something that would really speak to you, it's totally buried too. So uh, like, for example, like some real world situations that we've also even run across is that, you know, World was part of a CTV industry leaders uh, survey with Digital TV Europe earlier this year. And uh, majority of them did say 50%, in fact, said that ensuring their content was visible and discoverable, that you could even find it was the number one challenge in the U.S. There are at least, or excuse me, even more than 200 streaming services in the U.S. alone. So in terms of like what folks can do, Almost every streaming service provides some sort of EPG and a uh, program guide that you can access the grid. That is really kind of like cable 2.0. You have a guide, you click in, you see what's on and you go join it. If it's a linear experience anyway. So that's not entirely different. Before we might've said, oh, well, if it's in the EPG, that's real estate. You get to see what's on. And as long as it's there, you'll get discovered. But what if your EPG is miles and miles and miles long? You still aren't really finding what you want. And maybe, you know, as a publisher, you're not really getting the audience you want. It just happens to be that somebody clicked on channel one, two, three, four. And you were one, two, three, four, five. And you were like, oh, I like this. It was something that I happened to want. Um, so really the thing that I I think will be, um, and the industry seems to call that way, is that marketing is going to play a bigger role in this. So it's being able to use um, some of the, the bits and pieces from the the audience members themselves and the technology that we're able to layer in there to actually market to these viewers to what they really want to see. So we're able to reach reach viewers that where it's really, really effective, in other words. So our content discovery tool, for example, um, helps streamers and publishers to do just that, attract, engage, and retain their viewers at a massive scale because we're able to use the AI technology and target the relevant audiences across the devices that they use to be able to tune into the shows. So if you can imagine you really love cooking shows and you get an ad for a cooking channel that's going to feature your amazing Thanksgiving dinner for this year, you're, you're going to want to tune in to this special marathon of Thanksgiving meals. And because it's targeted to you, we know that you're going to enjoy that. Now, it may not even be that simple. There are other things in there that we've found over time that tell us that uh, the data that drives us towards what might be most effective for you as a viewer, what you might what might really resonate with you viewing wise. So I think it's those efforts being able to use marketing, not no one's been able to do that so far. Um, and that's why this is so novel to be able to use the ad space and be able to market to you um, what you might find most appealing and send you right there. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, that's definitely helpful, right? To get the right content in front of people and, and say, oh, hey, sign up for this app and you'll get it. Circling back to the cable 2.0 issue, how do you get past that barrier as a smaller app of people like being like, uh, you know, I have enough apps, enough yeah. content to look at. I don't need to join this app when I pay for Netflix, Hulu, Disney. Like it's hard to compete with a brand like Disney, right? Yeah, right. What are the ways in which smaller apps can compete for, for share of attention? It's a great question. I mean, in terms of a, a smaller 
a smaller one that would not have had the engagement it would have because of brand recognition. There are other ways that you can do the, the marketing strategies. You could certainly set up KPIs that make sense for you. So if you're a smaller publisher or a smaller app, let's say, if that's where we're marketing, you might set goals that are more along the lines of free trials. That might be more important to you is to say, you know what, my goal is to have folks start a trial, which that costs money, right? I mean, a lot of the industry, they spend a ton of money trying to get folks to do the 30-day trial and then a lot of people turn out. So um, there are KPIs that might make sense for you is that the, maybe somebody won't go right out of the gate and pay, but they might do a free trial. So a lot of the things that we're looking at too, from our perspective, when we meet with customers that have a discoverability uh, goal is what can we actually see success for them? And that meaning of success is different based on, to your point, the size of of your business. So we wouldn't want to set a certain small company up for an expectation that they're going to have, you know, I don't know, thousands of paid subscribers within a couple of weeks. It might be possible, but maybe we want to start with a goal that's a, a little more attainable at first, and then continue to optimize on that. So now that you have the free trial set up, that's part of what we do too, is continue to iterate on that. So you've got folks who are somewhat of a captive audience, and can we continue to market to them on your behalf to keep them for the retention portion? And then will they open up their wallet, put the credit card down and go on to the subscribe? What's most exciting to you about the future of streaming? And where do you kind of see all of this going in the next few years? Yeah, so I certainly see that the CTV is going to continue to mature. So some of those things I think will be really interesting to see. Do we go a little more towards the cable 2.0 or do we go towards something a little bit different and and be a bit more groundbreaking with how we consume our media? So as it matures, I think we're going to see that um, and maybe go one way or the other. I highly doubt we're going to keep the parallels of, of something slightly different, but most people do like cable 2.0. Um, but I, I'm really interested to see how that plays out. I would assume as we move forward, the cable 2.0 kind of view sheds itself a little bit. Um, it just seems like people speak a lot more to um, sometimes how the way content is given to them with those recommendations. I hate to say we're kind of lazy TV watchers, but I think we like to see things surface for us. So I think that solving that discoverability challenge is going to be there in the next three to five years, certainly with Whirl as we continue to iterate on our um, services that we provide today. With regard to that, it will it will be there, but I think we're going to see AI play a role in that, the machine learning that we put together to um, lean into that. Um, but I think it will also become a bit more seamless. It won't be, again, those silos where you have to go log in, log out from one thing to another. I think, I, I would hope, I would be super excited to see how that works because I think that would be huge to be able to break the the kind of barriers that are there today to make those things possible, be a little more seamless and a little more personalized as we go to. Mm. Um, I would be really interested to see also how we solve, I mean, and we as the collective, we, um, how we solve for household consumption of media. Like I've got four small kids in my house. So what they watch isn't what I watch, but how do you even that out based on all the different interests that are in one household and be able to use the um, AI kind of things and the machine learning to actually know who's watching, what's really going to speak to you and whether or not um, you can 
tailor that to the multiple viewers in one home, for example, it's kind of easy if I were, it was just me, right? I could, right. I'd be an open book, really, you'd know what I'd watch and what I don't watch. But when there's lots of people in there, and I think it's, it's a, uh, it's a bit more of a mixed bag. So I, I would be interested in, and excited to see how we, we do that. I think also how we continue to look at how we advertise to our, our viewers. I think it's always as a, when you're in the industry, advertising is really interesting because again, you could have the best channel in the world, but unless you're making money, it's not really that interesting. So when you're in it for the business perspective, yes, ads are fantastic. But as a viewer, you're like, nah, maybe I'll pay and I won't get ads or maybe I'll do this. And so you're kind of on this like trip to not get ads. Um, so I, I'm just interested in how we start to move forward and effectively advertise to people. I think folks are a bit more savvy with what they want to see and what they don't want to see and how to sometimes play these games and skip ads and stuff. So how do we continue to to make that smart for people? Maybe not as invasive. Maybe there are ways that we actually create advertising so that it doesn't seem disruptive to your life and almost helpful, you know, because mm-hmm. it's stuff that I actually would want to see and go, oh, wait, that's cool. I never knew that I could get smoothies delivered to my house. I don't know. Um, you know, something like that. Right. Where I would actually be receptive to the message as opposed to like, oh my God, why did you just interrupt my super intense episode of warrior or whatever. And with this, like, I don't right. need you. Um, so I think that will be really, I think will be really interesting to see, uh, as how mm-hmm. it becomes almost not so disruptive and jarring because opposite wise, that's disruptive to the industry and the whole thought of how advertising has been. It's been something that like, okay, break. Uh, right. here's that. I'm going to go make a sandwich. I don't want to watch this. <laughs> well, I, I guess that sort of makes me wonder, like, do you think now that all of the paid for streamers are launching ad supported tiers, does that sort of level the playing field in a way for other apps to say, like, actually, we have a better ad experience and Netflix now has ads and Disney has ads. So maybe we can do something really innovative and and not annoy and interrupt right. our viewers. <laughs> right, right. Exactly. I, I do. I think that would be really an interesting way to see people compete with each other. I think that's a great thought. Like, you know, I watch Disney, whatever their free ad supported version, because it doesn't it's I actually find it enjoyable you know, or something like that, or it's, it's not so jarring for me. Um, you know, like same for like our kids, we want them to watch, uh, most of the programming that doesn't have ads. Cause we don't want to hear that they want some kind of fruit snack for the next week. So <laughs> if we can, if it was done in a way that like, you know, you know, who, who's going to buy it? It's us. So, you know, if there's a smart way to do it where, okay, well, when the parents are watching, or we know that there's a, a period of time that I can market the kids stuff to you adult, or however we end up doing that. But I think to yes, make it so that the experience is interesting might definitely might level it off. I, I've certainly been on some apps as well, or streaming experiences where even just the volume level from the program to the ad is so like, not earth shattering. That's dramatic, but you get my, my drift. I've like, had that experience. I have to yeah. like mute the TV cause yeah. it's so loud. Yeah. yeah. You're like, what is happening? Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's like, but it's, it's nobody's fault. Really. You have different, two different assets that don't have normalized audio. I mean, it's going to happen. It's not like they, we made sure that the uh, horror scene that was happening in your scary movie and they're creeping around the corner. wasn't with, you know, matched with this blaring ad for Allegra or some kind of like <laughs> um, allergy medication. So it's those things aren't there. But yeah, if you can imagine that somehow it's it's not like that, like it's actually not only the message is easily received by you because I'm in kind of the zone to accept the message, but like 
I'm also like, oh, um, maybe it's like placement of it or, or I don't know. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, I can't even think about how we might offer it as in a UI perspective, but can you imagine if it just didn't feel like that? Like you had to go press mute immediately. Like you, you, you get taken out of it, right? Yep. Yep. Yeah. And there's definitely opportunity to innovate on the ad experience. So, well, Amanda, thank you so much for chatting with me today. Absolutely. Same here. Um, It's an exciting place to be. It's an exciting time. So I feel really lucky to get to witness this as we move into this new way of how we consume media and how we see things pan out for our viewers, our publishers, our streamers. We'll see where we are, you know, in the next little bit. I think it'll look a lot different sooner than we think. So (laughs) agreed. 